0: Well, this is Barbara Magnolfi of Suspiria, and you're listening to Without Your Head.
1: To here at the station of decapitation, without your head, at Boston—not Boston, Buffalo. I was talking about Boston. No, we were talking about Boston. Buffalo, (laughs) Buffalo Dreams, fantastic film festivals. It's a very long title.
0: Fantastic.
1: It is a great title. (laughs) And we're with Lindsay Cat, uh, who's—I don't even say. Do I say director or singer? Such a great question. I
0: usually self-identify as an artist because I want to be allowed to do whatever and have nobody go can't do that you're
1: a musician yeah. so yeah the alvan Gardner, which is a great title too
0: thank you but yeah. so for the, uh for this purpose uh, i will probably say writer director of the film
1: yeah i should have just said of, oh. and then it would be all encompassing yeah. people could fill in whatever they think totally. mm-hmm. so actually the, the title right away gets you and then thank the you. poster thank you and so you have to bring people into something so I was totally into it, and I watched it. I see, I saw twice. Oh, yeah, good. it was weird because watching the second time, I picked up a lot of stuff I didn't notice in the first time.
2: Yeah, man. <laughs> it's
1: much more. Uh, the first time I watched it, I, I really I thought it was a bunch of videos put together. Mm-hmm. And the second time, I noticed that there is. Uh, like, an oh, it's sword. a film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess for people who aren't at a film festival, can you explain to them what the avant Gardener is.
0: Yeah. Um, so basically, the avant Gardener was a concept record, musical record uh, that I had. Oh. Uh, created because I was curious about the relationship between how music engages with film and why we've organized uh, sort of those rules in terms of yeah. music sort of being a garnish to film being sort of the general thing. When I, when I noticed that, like, you strip music out of a really important scene,
3: yeah,
0: like, it sterilizes the scene. And right. so, like, I knew that it had, like, this really prominent and important relationship. And I, so I really wanted to explore the idea of for example, producing a film track to a record instead of producing a soundtrack to a movie, mm-hmm. and so I had thought about like a lot of the giants of like Monty Python using uh, animation and music and things in their yeah. work in a way that was really charming or employed like, sort of doing the visuals, yeah, well, or like, the Beatles, exactly, yeah. and so like these kind of giants or Prince doing all of his own creative work, and and I thought you know why why do I not see more of this? And then I started thinking about that that sort of old cliche of like you know, be, be the thing you want to be, like, if you don't yeah. see it, go be, go be yeah. it, so, yeah. like, yeah. you know, so I was like, okay, like, can't bitch about it if you're not going to do something, yeah. so, like, I had had this idea that I I wanted to make a film track to a record, and so the the concept was that I was going to make ten narrative music videos that interlocked into one feature film, mm-hmm. and I wanted it to be a comprehensive film with one story arc that you could follow all the way through, mm-hmm. and I wanted you to be able to separate each one of them individually yeah, and have the them all work. still have a beginning yeah, yeah. on. and one end, so... That was the big challenge. I think we mostly got it. The last one is kind of a stretch, which I was willing to, to live with because yeah. we needed the recap. Uh, you know, when we got to the end of the edit, I was like, because it's really long, and I think part of the charm is that each of the sort of vignettes are done in a different style of filmmaking, and so it is very engaging. It does help keep the audience from getting bored. But by the time you get to the end, you do you do kind of have you have kind of gotten pretty far from yeah. where you started. So I kind of felt like you had to see that journey sort of. Uh, recapped again yeah. at the end so the, the last video does it work on its own if you're being kind of esoteric then yes um, but the other ones definitely the uh, which I was really
1: proud of yeah. but like, so, that was an important so work. the music you wrote for this it wasn't anything you had beforehand it's a
0: great question so when I concepted this record I was actually working on a commercial mm-hmm. uh, and I had a guitar player that I'd hired from Craigslist many years ago who had been trying to get into commercial advertising, and I was like, "Cool, we'll just throw you on the next gig that I do, and then like yeah. kind of get your foot in the door." And so I brought him onto this uh, pitch uh, to do like a co-write on this uh, commercial. And so I was working on this track. Uh, he had sent over some music, and I and I was writing the melody and lyrics for it. And I this this idea hit me like a truck, and I was like, "I want to do this idea." Do you like? So I called him, and I'm like. Through this, like let's let's do something else for this, but let's take the song that uh, we were making for this, and let's do this other weird project instead. And he's, you know, he's a uh, amazing guitar player, uh, Berkeley grad, like very serious, and also a, a man of a few words. And he was just like, it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, cool. So like, are we making a film? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like that that's kind of where the whole thing started. Um, most of the songs. Uh, there was a, and it was all kind of a hodgepodge. So, like, some of them were songs that were, like, ancient and beloved to me. So, like, the second-to-last song, I had written when I was, like, 20 on the okay. ukulele. And, like, it had just kind of sat in my back catalog, and I just didn't really know what it wanted to be when it grew up. It didn't seem to match any other record, and it kind of just had, like, floated in the ether for a while. And and it was just, it, immediately I was like, oh, that's got to be on this mean like And yeah. so that sort of thing. I wrote one song specifically for um, the film that actually had a different song in the original. Like, we shot the entire video for that sequence as a different song. Yeah. And I thought, it was a pop song. It was meant, it was a commercial, and, and, like, still good, still integrally artistic, but, like, the point of it being in there was that we could commercialize the film more, and I thought... Like how often do you get to be the boss and just make sure. the art film that you want? I was like, you don't have to do that. Like, yeah. just cut it and write a better song. And yeah. so I did. I cut it. And I wrote a better song,
3: uh,
0: and I was glad about that choice. But so it's kind of a hodgepodge of old and new work, or re-adapted work for the project. Um, and yeah, I, I basically I tried to think about what I wanted the story to do, which is that I wanted it to reflect. A spectrum of heavily relatable human experience, so both in the footage yeah. and in the songwriting. So I wanted people to be able to see themselves in it in who were, and be able to relate to the uh, experiences of being a person, specifically an artist, mm-hmm. and sort of the challenges and arcs of that. And yeah. so that was kind of how that came
1: out. And from. you know, it's called a. Um, what do they call it? It's like a. a uh, what is the genre they call it in, in, in the pamphlet? It? It's like an experimental oh, uh, musical.
0: Yeah, and it's just And I think <laughs> if people
1: think of musical, you think like the the songs are like almost people are singing dialogue, yes. but it's not that at all. Right. The songs aren't like on the nose where it's right. about what's happening.
0: Right. That's actually interesting that you brought that up because there's a lot of debate about playback, which is when you sing, the lip sync with the yeah. lyrics, right? And so like we, uh, my first music video, which premiered on uh, Logo and MTV, um, was a video that had no playback. And it was kind of this weird video. Yeah. And I was very young at the time. And I got a lot of critiques for that, and I thought it did a very specific thing, uh, because it kind of takes away, there can be a cheesy element to, to playback. So, yeah, like, yeah. I did know that I wanted there to be not a lot of playback. I also wanted... I
1: uh, might eat a little bit more. But thank, thank you. you. <laughs>
0: um, I wanted... God, now I've lost my yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted the playback to be the thing that was the connective tissue to keep them a little bit more cohesive, so I didn't want them to be totally fractured.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, so there is a little bit of playback, the first episode has some playback in it, mm-hmm. but most of the film does not, mm-hmm. uh, and that was very intentional, so we wanted just enough to keep that like sort of connective tissue, but not so much that it was like Jazz Hand's music video exactly, the, the yeah. like, older school
1: uh, model. Mm-hmm. So, um, even just naming it, what, why did you pick that uh, that particular title for the name? The
0: particular title. So I'd love a good pun. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's, um, I and agree. I, so. And I had
0: actually had a t-shirt when I was 16 that I still have uh, that said the avant-garde uh-huh. Uh And I remember thinking, like... That's a record, like, and I had written a song that I had titled the Avant Gardener. I found out later there's another artist who released a song. Uh, it was actually the year after I had written the Avant Gardener. Oh, really? Yep. and who released it? Courtney, trying to cut her name, I'm sorry. She's actually fantastic. Um, she's terrible with names today. Uh, but she has another song called the Avant Gardener. That since this project came out, people were like, you know, she did that song too. I'm like, yes, I know. Like, <laughs> people follow the same breadcrumbs to get to the same place, yeah, and, yeah. and that makes sense. But I, I really loved the idea of. Avant-garde meaning a very specific sort of non-linear thinking, uh-huh. and the idea of being the architect of your own non-linear thing. And so, to me, the avant-gardener is like you are the architect, you are the person, you are the boss of your own story, yeah. and you are getting to grow whatever uh, whatever incredible thing that you can dream up was mm-hmm. sort of the the root of like why that title was important yeah. to me. Um, but yeah, I thought like I'd actually pulled it from the song "The Avant Gardener," which is the second song on the album. It's titled "The Avant Gardener," and uh, I had written it into that, having carried it for many, many years as a sort of like yeah. you know sparkly, um, funny yeah, it's concept, a great theme, yeah. and I and I loved it, and I thought you know, like, this is exactly the thing. It is. It says all the right things for the story, yeah. and I'd already written that song for it. So that song um, became sort of the embodiment of that. within
1: the movie, yeah. So you said you're the... What did you do for everything? Because you said you're director, writer...
0: Um, so I produced the whole thing, um, with the exception of four, um, which was produced by Daniel Madoff, who is just, like, an incredible powerhouse producer. I and mean, really, really... And he, he was also our editor. I mean, I really feel that uh, in terms of how the film became the film like Daniel really helped uh, keep keep the thread like he was really principal there and I knew that I was going to direct the last six uh, and I knew that I didn't want to produce while I was directing or excuse me four I said six okay, yeah. numbers are really bad for me uh, and so I was like okay so for the ones I'm directing I'm not going to produce because it's too many hats I had already almost died producing and doing art department and, and whatnot yeah. on the other ones so Uh, There was a couple of guest directors, Uh, Jeremiah Kipp directed three, Uh, Heather Matarazzo directed the first one, and Carl Bird directed the retro sort of music one, Uh, and I had directed the others. And so I originally was like, I'm not going to direct it all, and then Carl actually was the voice of reason, and he was like, no, you should direct all of them, Mm -hmm. but actually I still want to work out, it. it was kind of this dance, and actually Jeremiah has expressed similar sentiments. But, like, it was my first film. I was building the ship while sailing it. I felt this sort of truthful um, sort of recognition of the fact that, like, what I didn't know was most things. And, like, I really learned how to be a filmmaker while making this film. And so having the ability to watch Carl work before I directed and watch Heather direct before like I directed Jeremiah, helped me sort of get the landscape a little bit better when it was time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I... I've always been an eclectic artist. Uh, You know, we were joking earlier about the experience as a child where you look at a thing for the first time and you're like, a person made that. (laughs) Right. I'm a person. Like, I can make that. And so I I knew that I could do it if I learned the series of steps. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a background in art department and painting and building things. So in terms of roles, I was the art director. I storyboarded the film and wrote it. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I did all of the props and paintings and every stick of everything that you yeah. see there and stuff that like me with a glue gun at home. Uh, the, the puppet with the geely suit with the eye,
3: yeah,
0: um, actually was a really funny story because I had envisioned how I was going to build this practical sort of mm. puppet, and I was like, okay, cool. We'll use a geely suit to be the main thing, and yeah. then like we can get kind of you know organize the eye and do all the stuff. And I ordered it online. And what showed up two days before, or day before the shoot, was a box of yarn <laughs> and a net. Uh-huh. <laughs> And so, like, I'm sitting on the floor of Daniel's apartment uh, with Daniel in our first A.D., you know, the bottle of wine, just fucking sewing, like, string onto this net to build this Keeley suit. Like, this yeah. is, these men are heroes. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And so, like, a lot of the pieces came together like that. It was just a total labor yeah. of love of, like, people showing up when there yeah. were holes and, like,
1: How long did it take to do all this? Because you had to write the music, and then your you're story went, and then you are actually filming it. Yeah. And-
0: I I was so so naive. God, the hubris involved in how little time I thought it would be to compare to how much work and time it was. The record part was pretty, um, like, we were able to sort of elongate that process because the film was taking so long to make. So we we had a lot more room to play there, but, like, that really wouldn't have taken much time, honestly. Um, And, you know, in terms of writing the film, you know, the things that took the most time were things like our lead actor lost his work visa and, like, didn't get it back for a year and a half. Yeah. So, like, we were on a hiatus for, like, a year and a half trying to solve this. Oh, wow. Uh, he never got it back. We had to replace him with a body double, which is why you see some of the esoteric, like... Yeah.
1: And it totally know, works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you never yeah. see him again. I and mean, so, yeah. like, those were the challenges I wasn't expecting. Where I was mm-hmm. like...
1: Sometimes the, when you have to come up with a creative solution it really is a blessing. In a way.
0: Yeah, and you know that's the big lesson takeaway for me is like I learned that all of those mistakes and all of those things where I was like, babies in a building on fire, <laughs> uh, like where you feel like everything is falling apart. Like that all made the film better. It all made the film. Yeah. So like all the choices, all the things that we solved for, all the things that we thought wouldn't work and had to go a different direction on all of the amount of time that was the space that where I was just going. Are we doing waiting for a year and yeah. a half doing nothing we met people in that year and a half time who made the film better mm-hmm. people came into the project during those periods of times that like wouldn't have been like the film would have been less good yeah and so it was amazing in retrospect to look at it and go you know you just kind of gotta go with the flow on these things and trust your instincts about when to act on when and just like it'll be whatever it is yeah. and like it'll be it might not be the film you were thinking of but it will be your film at the mm-hmm. end and like that kind of is the thing we held on yeah. To. Yeah. So when
1: you are storyboarding and forming the movie because it's not like it is separate videos yes. but yet they are one long yes. story but it's not written like where it's one one, one you know all, all together so yeah. how, how does that how do you how did that work did you do each one separately but you kind of like know well, this is what i want to tell in this particular part
0: yeah. So um, the way that I kind of tried to do the story arc is I, I wanted to start with death, mm-hmm. you know, very sexy. And uh, so the idea was that I would start with death, and that it would be a loose reincarnation narrative. Yeah. Uh, and so I wanted to go death, full life set, sort of story arc. So starting with death, ending with death. That was sort of the goal. Yeah. Uh, and I structured each the narrative of each video to try and keep us both in that timeline,
1: like what's happening next in this person. Yeah. By the way, life. the death. From the beginning, to the end—it's totally different versions of death. It's yes. uh, depressing, and then uplifting, or acceptance.
0: Yes, and, well, and it will. So for me, it's this—it's this thing of like, I think death is really complicated for people. I think it's really hard for people to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also going to happen to all of us. So right, it's, right. in terms of relatability, it's—it's—it's mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's like part of what I loved about showing someone's whole story is I think in in life so often. We prioritize and value certain times in our lives over others. We, you know, yeah. we like to see the stories of young people, for example, or like what we consider to be like sort of the meat and potatoes of life. And I just don't subscribe to the ideology that that's where the value of life is. Uh, you know, I, I want everybody to be human, uh, no matter where they are in this journey. That you get, you get however much time you get, and like I re- so like it was really important to me that like she got to be old, and that like old people get to be represented as people and not like. Infantilized into something else, that she was still her on the inside, and in fact, uh, so my grandmother plays that character. Yeah,
1: I heard you mention that. That's very really cool. Uh,
0: so that scene where she steps in front of the mirror and she sees herself young. Yeah. That's actually that's directly from a conversation that I had with my grandmother about oh, really? getting old. And like, uh, when my grandfather passed away, I went and stayed with my grandmother for a couple of months and interviewed her and did her entire biography. Oh wow. Everybody do this yeah, if you have a living relative and like. It is, I mean, it is one of the things that, like, I will never regret that choice. It is invaluable to me that, uh, getting those stories and hearing, like, just the richness of her life, and she's extremely accessible, she's very, very intelligent, and she is one of the people who will cut the shit about the experience of what it's like to get old, and I'll be like, cool, tell me all the things, and she's like, it's weird, she's like, you know, like... She's like, you'll be sitting and watching TV and, like, you'll have a moment where you're like, oh, this this commercial is for the elderly. Crap, that's me. I'm the elderly. This commercial is for right, me. Right, right. Or, like... So that scene was based off of a conversation from that interview where she was talking about having a dream um, when she was, like, 76. She's 86 now. Uh, she was having a dream where she was in her 20s. And she woke up to go to the bathroom and she saw herself in the mirror oh, wow. and, and had this very, like, detached version of, like, oh, like... And it, yeah. just the emotional process of that. And I thought, you know, that is the truth of what it is to be alive, right? Like, you are always you on the inside. Okay. And so that idea of kind of, like, getting to be in your story all the time and getting to show, like, I really wanted this this person to be the protagonist. Yeah. I didn't want this person's story to be contingent on their relationship to other people's stories, which is why, like, they don't have a love interest at the end and there's no other, like, yeah. thing to validate their existence. It's just them doing their thing mm-hmm. uh, and that felt really important to me too I don't know if that answers your question maybe it's a long way around no, <laughs>
1: yeah and I do like that it's uh, it's because you say it's a story of someone's life but it's like multiple lives because yes. it's you know it's more story of their soul I guess yes which you don't see in, in anything
0: right and so in so back to that conversation that we had actually prior to this interview it yeah. is that idea of And what does it mean to be you on the inside? You know, we've got all these other things that we use to organize our identity, but at the end of the day, like, it it is the spirit of who we are that is who we are. And, yeah, and that that is, I love that you, you know, you called it the soul. I think it is the soul. Like, that, it is that concept of, you know, what does it mean to be you? Mm -hmm. And to hold that precious thing and, like, expand it and, and let it be in its highest Excitement and expression of itself, and like, what does that look like when it's allowed to happen?
1: Yeah, yeah. and there's uh, the one song which maybe is kind of the top song of uh, the. Um, <laughs> in in uh, what is it? It's uh, when you do like the Bowie. Uh,
0: oh, retro. Retro. Yes, that is but, our sort of pop pop song. <laughs> yeah,
1: but it's also interesting, especially the second time I watch it, because it's like. Only she's retro because it's like, uh, she is an old soul, but she was in someone else.
0: Right. I do have a plagiarized nostalgia for uh-huh. eras that I've never lived in.
1: <laughs> right, right. To- Which I think is a big thing in modern uh, modern day. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, I really did love that episode uh, Carl Bird directed that episode and John Carafa who is an amazing choreographer he did the choreography I think for in Town and Into the Woods and he won Tony's for the yeah, oh Into
3: the Woods yeah um,
0: and so he did our choreography and it was all done as an homage to different genres of dance Okay. At different time periods so yeah. you can see the thriller in there at one point you can see like all these sort of like nods yeah. to different eras of music making which I just love so, yeah. and it was like the most fun to show yeah. <laughs> it was Great. a total blast
1: yeah yeah <laughs> That's just uh, off topic in a way. like, like 80s nostalgia is huge now. And I grew up in the 80s. It wasn't that great. But, yeah, I was so yeah, like, yeah, I was born in 85, so I'm like... Born in 76. I don't it's know. That, everyone, yeah. It's yeah, the totally that big. It a the 80s. So that, that. I, my,
0: my big hope for this project was that it was going to be the kind of work that could build a bridge between two sort of historically disconnected communities, right, which is this sort of snobby, highbrow art community of, like, right. well, is it odd? <laughs>
3: like, yeah. But is it really odd? Like, that
0: kind of community, which I love. I, I mean, I, I work in that community. I, I do deeply love that community. And, like, shake your ass pop music. Like, we don't get you, we don't get you. So there's this kind of, like, screw you guys, we don't get you. The other guys, screw you guys, we don't get you. And what I really hope this project could do is sort of build a bridge between those two worlds and yeah. say, so, like, there is a place for every kind of artist. There yeah, yeah. is a place for every kind It doesn't kind of mean art. one's, one's doesn't, bad or do, one's exactly not right either, or, yeah. There are times in life where all I want is shake your ass music. Right. And there are times in life where I want to be asked and invited to think deeply about a thing I've never been invited to think deeply about by yeah. someone who could get me there right. and get me access to either the, an emotional place that's scary to go and be a catalyst to that or, you know, whatever yeah. it may be to I you. feel
1: the same way about movies. Like, uh, it was in the documentary about blood sucking freaks and, I mean, I love that movie, but it's obviously not all the movie I want to watch. Yeah. it depends what movie. You're
0: it does depend on what movie.
1: Yeah,
0: um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how people react to trying to innovate media too, because what I heard a lot of the whole time was no, you can't do that, it'll never work. And I really, a lot, like, I mean, a lot of the choices we made, people were not happy about. I mean, yeah. I had people quit the
3: oh really the production. So I
0: had a really um, fancy producer quit the production, uh, had a lot of opinions about me not doing the art department. Like, you shouldn't be doing the art department, you shouldn't be doing the costumes. Like, hire someone else to do it. Why are you doing that? And, like, God, you know, I look back on it now, and I think part of me being the one who held the scepter of the thread mm-hmm. see a lot of people contributing their art and... It was really, truly a collaborative piece. I mean, this was our film. This is in no way my film. Like, yeah. everybody's art leaked into this thing. But I was the scepter holder, and part of being the scepter holder was we had different DPs, we had different directors, but the art department was the same in every video. And the wardrobe design was the same then in every Then it
1: gives video. it all a, a certain, uh, uh-huh. a similar feel, even if it's all different.
0: Exactly. And so, yeah, I, I really... You know, it's. I didn't know how difficult it would be to have to look at people that you respect who disagree with you, and have to trust the integrity of your heart where you go. I hear what you're saying, and I believe that you know uh, the outcome that you're talking about is is true for you. And like, I deeply feel that it should be this other way. And to see how those choices affect the work has been really interesting. Of course, in retrospect, to look back at. Um, but I feel really proud of that and uh, you know the, in addition to that it was interesting to see how many people said I should not put myself on the credits for those jobs oh really many many yeah. producers said no like people will not take this seriously your name is on too many things it's going to look like a hack job yes. like yeah and I thought well that's a privilege because like I mean, I've had people... Because my name is on all the credits. I said, is, no, someone else, I did all the work.
1: Someone else I talked to even used a fake name for other credits for that reason.
0: Yeah, and I, I just refused to play it, and I thought, yeah, here's the deal. You know, we did the, the sort of meet-and-greet after the film last yeah. night, and people who have watched this movie now more than once, many yeah. of them, uh, who sat through the credits twice, mm-hmm. still ask me who wrote the music. Still oh, ask really? me even who wrote yeah. the film. So, like, there is even that pushback of, like... Did, but you didn't write it though and people yeah. are like no like I wrote it I wrote it and produced it and directed it like I did all the stuff and yeah. like it is still difficult to get that acknowledgement in terms of just having your work sort of credited in general and so that was a tough decision I mean, and terrible. just for all of the women filmmakers like, who are sort of coming next I'm like just put your name on everything like especially since what we're fighting against is they don't believe we can do it so right. like, just put your name on everything don't apologize for it put your name first if you're first like mm-hmm. I, and I I yeah, I had a lot of like, emotional conflict about that. It felt difficult for me. It felt like all oh, people are going to say you're arrogant. Like you know, I had this impulse that I think a lot of women do. Like, no, just make yourself smaller. That will be safer. And yeah, yeah. like, I'm really grateful that I did not do that. I think it made work it work better. If you did it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, are you glad that you're but, in it now?
0: Yeah, I had some very conflicting feelings about that. Oh. I am glad that I'm in it. Um, acting is hard for me. Uh-huh. It's hard for me to be on camera. Um, this is hard for me it, it's that thing of like I think it's the thing of putting yourself in a situation where you're inviting judgment and, and critique mm-hmm. and you know some people are like oh you care here or, you're going to fix this <laughs> and it's like the idea for me um, I think it relates back to Sort of this concept of okay, why the fear of judgment? I've given this a lot of thought over the years of, of having uh, this anxiety around being a and why the fear of judgment? Because
1: you seem like someone who probably wouldn't care, but then you do care. Which yeah. I feel I, I totally understand that. So, yeah.
0: so, I think for me, the fear of judgment is someone will get me wrong. So I feel I feel it's this, this deeply rooted fear of being misunderstood. So someone will get me wrong, and because they've got me wrong, I will not be allowed to do my job anymore. Because no one will look at me again. They will move on and they will not give me that second look. And so that's the fear I think really is that like my imperfection will mean I don't get to do the thing I love. And so it's that thing of like and I see a lot of artists stuck in this hole and I just wanna I want us all to rescue each other from it every time we feel there. Yeah. But actually in interviews, something I have said over and over again on a loop, because I have gotten this from people before, which is like, oh my god, it's so great that you don't care what people think. And my answer is always, oh my god, absolutely not. I actually think it's deeply unhealthy not to not- care about other people. Oh, I yeah. think it's weird to be like, I don't care about you or what you think. <laughs> right, yeah. Why would anyone want to sit yeah. with someone yeah, if, you
1: had no- if you
0: don't care about them? And so yeah. what I say to people is, no, like, I care deeply about you and what you think. But I, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about right. what you think, and I don't hold what you think over the integrity of my own truth. And I think that's really the distinction for me. Mm-hmm. Is like I think about it as honoring my integrity and without uh, sort of needing to disregard your humanity sure. or my care for you to do that. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, I feel like maybe it sounds like a semantics or a, you know, being sort of finicky about language, but I think. I think that language informs how how we do this together, and I, I want to see it. I want to see us together. Yeah.
1: Was, you, was your family artistic? Like, how did you get involved in, in making art?
0: Yeah, my whole family is artistic. So my dad was is, is a physician, and uh, was sort of known as the singing doctor. Oh,
1: really? Okay. Uh, so
0: he'd like, he, so he was constantly. Like he
1: Patch like, Adams.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. He was very Patch Adams. Good. Uh, and he doesn't practice anymore, uh, but he yeah he'd sing in the hospital hallways and like we would all sing together as a family like I sang in church, my sister's an incredible musician, like she plays the guitar her vocal is unbelievable and like none of them chose to pursue it vocationally but they all could have, do you know what I mean so it's just that thing of like we did it for the joy like we did it for the joy and like because we could and like it delighted us and like singing and laughing loudly into the mouths of people that you love all you know close, it's, it's like there's a specific um there's a specific value in that that like I was uh, sort of indoctrinated into very right young, yeah. <laughs> and it, it has meant a lot to me because I do feel a lot of freedom around creative expression because of that like whimsical childhood in which I got to play pretend and like got to play dress up and if I had an idea my parents were like cool i will be like I want to make a science project be, like great do whatever <laughs> like yeah, that, yeah. they were kind of like follow your interests and so like having that support does it does help facilitate that yeah, totally. I, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. so Um, What kind of festivals do you play the movie at? Because there's there's all different types of festivals, and I don't know how the movie fits into any specific festival.
0: Yeah, you know, honestly, there hasn't been a consistent thread. Um, We have won a lot of films as an experimental film, so uh, film festivals that have categories for experimental um, we've done better at. Um, But we've kind of run the gauntlet. Uh, A couple of women's festivals have picked us up. Uh, I'm a gay person. We shot the first sequence at Stonewall Inn, uh, which is a very famous uh, location in New York uh, where the Stonewall riots happened, which is an important part for me. I actually know the owner is there and they very graciously said we could shoot there. Um, but it was this thing of, like, not one gay film festival has accepted us. Oh, really? Which is very interesting huh. to me. And and I even received two scolding letters from really? from leaders. So. And like you got Heather Monterazo making out with me in the first two minutes of the yeah, movie, yeah, so right. I, I had this reaction of like, and I mean, one hundred percent failure. Not one has accepted us, huh. and it's it's to the point where like I, I mean, I'm getting ready to write an open letter to the gay community, yeah. being like, where did this break? Because like this is our fortieth award, and like we can't get recognition in our own community. Yeah. Why is that happening? And like I even so I got an email from one of the queer festivals saying you must be so embarrassed. This is a gay film festival. This is for queer artists who are making queer films. Like, we'll try and get you a refund. And I thought, wow.
3: wow. Yeah. Like,
0: and I wrote them back and I was like, well, I'm a gay person and like 80% of our cast and crew is gay. And like, we've got the, like, I don't like... So, so the screeners are either not watching it, mm-hmm. or there's something else going on that feels a little bit darker to me in terms of being excluded uh, mm. for whatever reason it might be. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but okay. it, it has been an interesting. It has been interesting to see which festivals have reacted and which happened. We premiered at Rhode Island, yeah. uh, and actually the film that won alongside us, uh, of us, *The Silent Child*, won the Academy Award that year.
1: Oh, really? That's pretty well. Which wild. was pretty well. Yeah, and yeah. also
0: uh, pretty interesting because the woman who made that film. Is in another TV show called Switched at Birth, uh, which is Marley Matlin's, I think, uh, project. Uh, and I have music all over Switched at Birth. Oh, really? <laughs> and so That's it's just wild. like Kevin Bacon game yeah, of like, yeah, at triangulation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, we were balloted for the Academy at Rhode Island, and so like that was where we started. Yeah. And then, I mean, we've sort of run the gauntlet from. Uh, different degrees and styles of festivals, from like, the Jerome Festival Festival, where they like project films into like old trains.
1: Oh, really? Which that's is pretty, oh, really cool. Like, yeah, it sounds pretty awesome. Uh, you
0: know, and then like, uh, yeah, there's there's been so many. Seattle was one of my favorite recent ones. Stiff. So we won a Stiffy, uh, Stiff. which was, was yeah. the yeah. name of their words. Well, that, that was pretty fun, yeah. uh, and they were just again like this, this, this incredibly. Uh, ferocious group of like art makers who just care i yeah. like my big experience with the festivals is just like, just, like a lot of art makers who care mm-hmm. and like getting to hang out with all the cool weirdos has I been agree, the best yeah, part of this but, <laughs> like, yeah
3: that's why I go so yeah right. exactly
0: so yeah but yeah we, we have been very fortunate to have been accommodated we are 36 minutes short
3: yeah like, yeah
0: anybody who sits through a 36-minute short yeah. is a national hero. <laughs> like, this is like... I mean, so the poor programmers, like, this is a nightmare yeah, I was going to say, is that like, a problem? Because yes.
1: You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an odd time. Yeah.
0: It's, it's an odd time, and it's like, I'm also aware, very consciously, uh, that being a 36-minute short means that we get programmed five other five-minute shorts or whatever don't, don't get to play. Right. Right. And so I, I do feel very sensitive to that, and it's that thing of, like, as an art maker... I feel strongly committed to, if I'm going to stand at the podium, if I'm going to ask for your time, I'm going to make it worth your time. Yeah. And so part of why I think what informs my care of making work that is sort of unimpeachably useful and, and good for people is that like I take that responsibility very seriously. I know what 36 minutes is to someone.
1: Yeah. W- when you made it, did you go in knowing, like, I think I'd like to make this like thir- 36 minutes, or was that just the time that it felt to tell like the story you're making it's a
0: great question I'm never gonna answer that question Um, I think the reason that it had to be that long uh, was because the record was 10 I thought like we made a whole record and 10 felt like the right number Mm -hmm. those were the right songs Uh, it was the right amount of time to tell the full story shorter you couldn't really do it Mm -hmm. longer it wasn't too long Um, we actually did shorten some of the songs from like the radio edit of them so like we cut a couple choruses out of retro yeah. or we cut a couple of, you know like choruses out of howling like, yeah. um, to try and compact it I specifically made it under 40 minutes because that's what the academy standard is for short, sure. okay. and so we wanted to aim high we didn't want to cut ourselves off at the legs, and yeah. so I was like okay like baseline we gotta get this thing under 36 minutes and so yeah. part of the editing was to like so we made right. it as small as we physically could without breaking it Yeah. Uh, but that's yeah that's how yeah. it got to be this like Link the anthology film. <laughs> is
1: is the record available? It's yep. not available. Okay. And
0: now I'm like I'm doing the shame spiral of like now been working on this project for we started this six years ago. Yeah, I think the first, yeah. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Um, five and I'm I'm starting to have the like you still haven't released it. The music is still not available. Like, <laughs>
3: right, right. Yeah. How are
0: you gonna? how are you going to do do good by this work by making sure that you don't, like, get distracted and, like, go move on to something yeah, else because yeah. you're tired working on it? Like, how do you get it to people now? And, like, uh, yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. Distribution and... Uh, these are all things I'm learning. I don't know about any of these things. Uh-huh. And so, like, I don't even, like, I don't... Not only do I not know how to monetize a film like this, like, I don't know how to get right. it in front of people. And so it's it's been a challenge. And, like... You know the best thing that I have found is just to tell that to as many people as possible and to ask for help and say like, hey man, like I got as far as I could with this, here's what I don't know. Yeah. That's a
1: good part about the festivals too yeah. is, is people are all different levels of experience, yeah. Yeah. or um, not even like the length of time, but have different experiences, so maybe someone could help you, like this would really a good, be a good platform to, to get this on or, or whatever.
0: Courtney Barnett I think is the one who did the other avant Gardner song. Okay. Which yeah, it was really interesting, I didn't know about it until after everything had happened and yeah. so by that time I was kind of like you know whatever I, they're very different songs yeah. she just, her name is Poppy okay. no, I that's, for, that's for cool. credit because you should check out her stuff too I've googled her since then and she's fantastic but, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: so um, where does the movie go after, after here I guess
0: after here. Um, so we have like seven or eight imminently coming up that yeah. we'll be attending. Um, there's one in Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, there's one in Boston. There's another one in New York. We're actually showing in Croatia a couple of oh, wow. days. wow, that's wild. Uh, we've, we've been in like eight or nine yeah. different countries.
1: Yeah, so like, do they, you know how it plays for different audiences in different countries?
0: You know, I haven't actually attended Yeah, like, that uh, would be hard I, I've been trying. Yeah, so like yeah. Some of that is just because of limited resources, right? Like I would love yeah. to be in Croatia yeah, right yeah. now, um, but I can't.
1: Right, right. Um and So yeah. it's that
0: thing of... Uh, it's
1: hard to drive to Croatia. It's hard
0: to drive to Croatia. Um, but yeah, We're Austria, trying. Australia, yeah. France, Spain, um, Germany, trying to get the other countries... Um, I think we just got accepted to one in Russia as well. But it's, it's been interesting to see like, okay, so it, it is transcending the, uh, the English language. Yeah, here. yeah. So like, you know, people I guess are life so and death is
1: universal. So.
0: I was going to say, you want to relate to people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we all going to die. Yeah, like, really. um, no, they
1: don't die in Croatia. Do, the they do. No, they do. Okay. <laughs> I've learned something here in the interview. Um,
0: but yeah, I, I am excited to see how those audiences for the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, my business partner is Russian, as I think I mentioned, and so uh, just through his sort of community, you know, I've sort of gotten to see what different, how different cultures can react to the film. Um, but yeah, I've worked a lot in, so for example, like Denmark, and like, I've, I've toured Europe quite a bit as a musical recording like, artist, so like, I have community there, I've shared the film with those people, That sort of the extent of me knowing how other cultures have received it, they've all been very lovely and adulating, but like, yeah. they're also my friends, so they kind of. Right, right? Yeah, yeah. But, it's like uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, how about your music in general? Is it is it played all over? Do you have uh, fans all over?
0: It is, and I do. I hate using the same
1: phrase? No, but,
0: no, no. Well, the thing yeah. is, is it's, no. It's really interesting that you should say that because I, I really do struggle with the fan word.
1: Yeah, I do. Too. Um,
0: I really struggle with it because it's dehumanizing, and yeah, it is yeah. meant to be dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. It is it's meant fanatic. It is meant to set us apart from the people, and I think like the reason I have back there is because. The thing that makes the magic of art work, I am—I have received that. I have had artists who have rocked my world so hard that I'll never be the same again. I know what it feels like to benefit from the hard work and artistic creativity of someone else. Mm-hmm. And, like, does that somehow, is that a pejorative thing that makes me, like, you're looking up at that person? Right, yeah. No, because we all take our turn on that trolley. Even if you're not an artist, you've influenced someone. Yeah. In your in your being, uh, in a way that ideally uh, that will affect them for the rest of their lives. And so, for me, it's it is truly humility because what people are saying is like you invited me into this space with you, and now we're vulnerable here. And like the value of that feels precious to me. And and I both relate to the experience of being a fan of great work and being the creator of great work where somebody gets the benefit me. like I, I just see it as people sort of trading roles whenever. Um, a lot of my fans have been with me for fifteen years. I mean I know their names, I hug them at concerts. They're they're yeah. part of my family and so like they're the fan family. Like right. and so when I think about this sort of like nebulous fanfare of the yeah. internet, you know, I'm not really thinking of Sort of this general group. I am think these are my people.
1: Like yeah, exactly. most it's of like them your are community. artists
0: themselves. It's a community. Like and and they're all smart, articulate, funny creators. And like to say that their art and creativity is somehow less than mine because they have four hundred people looking right, at it and right. I have forty thousand. Yeah. Like yeah. that just feels fundamentally broken to me. And so like yeah, I do have some pushback yeah. about that. But I do have a lot of communities, strong communities of support, people who have. there from the beginning people who have just jumped on board and are like yeah you know ready to do the thing um and they are it like they are the reason i work if i play a show and they're not there i'm not doing i'm just like (laughs) i'm not doing anything and so like i have a lot of regard uh for people also valuing that work giving me their time giving me their money letting me continue to do this like i owe them everything and so like the idea that like it should feel great to kind of sit above them on a pedestal. It feels wrong to me. Like yeah. those are the people I want to talk to and yeah. hang out with, and be a community yeah. with. So yeah.
1: So I currently know you from the from the visual side. You know. So what is your live performance like?
0: What is my live performance like? Um, my live performance is very authentic uh-huh. and imperfect. Um, you know, I you talk about the anxiety thing. Sometimes the anxiety thing makes me so like I'll forget lyrics in the middle of my thing. And part of being dyslexic is so, for example, like I don't know the alphabet. So like if some so like my biggest fear has been like
1: someone ask me the alphabet. Well, you know, like, people, when you get like pulled
0: over and people yeah. like say it backwards, oh, oh, right. I'm like, Dude, yeah, I can't that's say it
1: forwards. Like that's a good, yeah. um,
0: which I can. So part of how the alphabet works for me is like I, if I want to know where a letter is in sequence, I have to say the whole thing. So I go ABCD. D,
1: actually D. have to do the same
0: And I do it with months of the year also: uh-huh. January, February, March, April, May. Okay do the redirection right like and uh so yeah it's now i've lost the question i got to see there you go see no i so, yeah, yeah i i draw blank and so my my live performance sometimes involves me forgetting a lyric and then having to start oh
1: from, from over from the over so that the, i can get back into so the restart the restart yeah, yeah, yeah
0: um which happens sometimes um they're usually pretty high energy i'm a pianist and a keyboardist. Uh-huh. Um,
1: do you have skeleton I, puppets. Like
0: do, so here, so we actually did use a lot of the props. So when we first premiered the film, we projected uh-huh. it with a clip oh, really? connected to the drums and then to all the music live.
1: Oh, that's pretty. cool. Which sweet.
0: was really amazing. We did that at Joe's Pub in New York City, yeah. and it was just, God, it was a wonderful way to, yeah. to sort of have a first introduction to yeah. the film. Um, I would eventually love to tour the film that way hope, yeah, that'd be and wild. tour it as a little a record film as that way. Yeah. But my my live shows are usually a mix of sort of indie rock music. Um, I have one record that I put out in 2008 called Picking Out Boxes that uh, I'm very proud of, but doesn't necessarily reflect all my musical stuff, as one record often doesn't. Um, I released another EP a few years later called Happy Fits of Rage, um, that was a really fun... It was just like a four-song EP. Uh, I did a cover of uh, David Bowie's Diamond Dogs, uh, okay. which is a, like one of the only covers I've released really that I just loved doing. Yeah. It. it was really fun. Um, and a lot of the songs that I've done live are songs that people haven't heard because I haven't gotten good at releasing work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, the administration side of music isn't a thing that I have developed a lot of skills around.
1: Yeah, I uh, recently interviewed the lead singer of The Zombies. And, okay. And... Uh, you said a similar thing and um, to me it's kinda like I would think being artistic is like a totally different mindset of being somebody who's like business oriented. And they don't I don't think they really uh, connect very well.
0: Right. Well and so the irony is that I'm a great business person for other people. So I actually do brand consulting. Like I, I, okay. I know quite a bit about marketing. I know how marketing. that is too.
1: It's it's Like, if I do graphics for somebody else, it's easy. But to do my own poster, I was like, I don't know what to... I don't want to put my own face on this. And again, I
0: think it's that. And I think it really is just as boring as being afraid and and having anxiety around doing it wrong and then not being allowed to do your job anymore. Because you did this one thing wrong. And I think that can very easily snowball into I haven't produced anything in six years. Or, like, the YouTube thing of, like, somebody... My friend of mine being like we got to talk about your YouTube channel. And being like, yeah, it's been a while. And then being like, yeah, it's been four years. Like, like it is difficult for me to cross that barrier as it is for many people. And so I think that's a particular creative challenge if you have shyness, if you have anxiety, if you don't love the adulation yeah. of being around people, I think it can be really difficult to reach that. Like. Now that
1: you mentioned that, that it, it's more of your own stuff, Do you, is it part of it like it's feeling that you're taking away the artistic value of what you're doing because you're putting uh, monetary uh, a number on it? It's a
0: great question. I feel like I have worked out a lot of my dysfunctional relationship with the money stuff. Yeah. So, like, I no longer have the same kind of shame that I had around money stuff. Um, it's weird that we shame artists for wanting to make a living at their job. It's yeah. Job. You see it
1: all the time on, like, on, on uh, Facebook and absolutely, on social media. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And it's like, you know, I see this sort of, like, false dichotomy playing out in which, you know, it's this thing of, like, they want to value the music Mm-hmm. which means it's valuable like they want the art right. but not wanting to pay for it on yeah, principle they think, they think it should be free which you know no <laughs> other vocation do we do this we don't ever say like oh you're a plumber <laughs> right. do you know what I mean like oh, that's cool you're a chef I if need a plumber Yeah, should, you should yeah, you come text for, for me at yeah, my yeah. house and, and the thing is, is it's the way we value things and it's that idea of like your money is a vote your money is a vote, and if you want the things around you to reflect the things you want,
3: yeah.
0: you have got to vote for them. You got to vote for them, and you've got to put your money where your values are, yeah. and you've got to start. And if you want more it. of it,
3: right? Absolutely,
0: and it's that thing of like, I cannot tell you the amount of gratitude that I have when somebody shows up for me in that way. And I used to, like there was a good year on Twitter where. I made more money from people sending me PayPal. So there was a period of time uh, where I was making more money from people unsolicitedly sending me money on PayPal and saying, hey, I just heard all of your music. Like, yeah. uh, here's 50 bucks. And, and like, it, it was really emotional for me because it's just, again, it's that feeling of, like, oh, you're voting for this. You're right, watching. it's not it's like, that
1: like, hey, cool, I get 50 bucks. It's like, this person valued what I do.
0: Absolutely. And the thing is, is that, like, we got to keep the lights on you know what I mean like we yeah. gotta keep the lights on and we gotta be able to make the thing and like making the thing is expensive like most of the money that we get from uh, sort of fan engagements or fan support all of that is getting poured into the work and then some like it's not like we're like going on vacation with this money and and even if we were I don't understand the wow, logic between shame because like okay here's the thing like dot collecting before dot connecting if I'm yeah. gonna put together sort of ideas and package them and, and have Creative inspiration to make a thing that I think will resonate with people. I need to be a person in the world doing stuff. Right, you
1: can't to do that's that. That's all you do. So, like and, yeah. exactly,
0: I think there's a huge value to going on vacation and being around other people, or doing things. even like sitting in your room by yourself, doing whatever. Like all right. the whatever different... it is you want to do. Exactly. There you go.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, but all of those things leak into your work, and I don't. I don't subscribe to this whole like you got to chain yourself to the piano and like, produce, 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 or you're not. Yeah, it's Not incredible. Barber, this, yeah, this the exactly. Only way, right. It's not the only way. And you know, it's an old model and I think it's an old model that was created to serve other people and not to serve us. And I think it's our job to break that model and we'll build
1: yeah. we want more. Yeah. Plus you gotta be able to buy quick paints.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get to do whatever you want, which right. is like maybe, maybe that's really why I became an artist, right? <laughs> it was just like, you know what I'd like to do? Just whatever I want whenever I want. <laughs> that's right. what
1: I want to do. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I totally stand by that. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, you mentioned where it's going from here. Um, where can people follow you? Not at like your house.
0: Not yeah. Okay, so not my home address. Right. Okay, right.
1: right.
0: Um, so I have a, I think a bulk of my fanfare is on Twitter. So it's my name, L I N D S A Y K A T T, Lindsay Cat. Um, I think there's like forty thousand people there. I think there's like five thousand people on Instagram. So like the Insta you know, and like all the basic general social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Um, the thing is, is that those are movable platforms, though. And you and I were talking about this before the interview, which is like they're movable platforms because you know we can go there as an art community, but those are independent entities. They can shut us down whenever, right. and then our community. And you don't broken. even know
1: when when they're when people will leave them either, because hey, I had a lot of stuff in my space, and obviously it's worthless uh, yeah. now.
0: Absolutely, it's worthless now. Yeah. And so, really, what I have been trying to communicate to people is: all right, we want to we want to centralize our community, so. The best way to stay in touch with me is to get on my email list. Uh, second to that is to follow me on Patreon. Patreon is where I need people's support right now, yeah. uh, which is essentially people, the models, people are sort of used to Kickstarter as like a, you know, per project. Yeah. It's not like that. It's more like, hey, I really like what you're doing.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, every month I'll give you a dollar to yeah. allow you to keep doing the thing you're doing. And for that, you'll get everything I've ever made. Mm-hmm. Have all my back catalog and everything I make in the future. So if you're really broke, 12 bucks a year, you can have anything that I'm making. Yeah. And so, you know, I always tell people, like, don't buy me lunch. Like, come be in the Patreon. Like, yeah. come be in the community. Yeah. Come participate with us. Come play with us in this sandbox. Um, I think there's a lot of integrity in Patreon compared to Facebook. Jack Conte is this brilliant human being who, who uh, concepted and and created Patreon. Uh, and the idea was that, it, you know, it was going to be for us. And this sort of Uh, platform for people to be a patron of what you're doing so it's more of like instead of subscribing and signing on to pay for a project you're you're more signing on but you believe in the artist and you want to see that and and it's like a lot of trust there's a lot of trust there to say go do whatever we'll just be here like um, you know if I could send people to the internet I'd say please come to the Patreon and and join the community there because I think the risk of having other people exploit us uh, through commercialism and advertising is lower, and yeah. I think we have more it, power to I, do what we want. So, well, I've yes.
1: noticed on YouTube, I, you know, I've been uh, not de platform or de yeah. but there's still ads on them. I don't know who's, you know, who benefits. I'm not benefiting from it, but someone is.
0: Someone is. Yeah, and that's really the key question: is like who is making money off of us and why? And how do we move to a model where the people who are doing the work are getting paid for their labor? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I do think that there are some situations in which having sort of intermediary facilitators can be useful. But in general, I find it to be kind of a racket in which you know, you've got these people who have made a living on keeping a wall between art creators and art consumers and the internet has bridged that wall we can end this shit show anytime we want by just yeah. changing our minds and organizing differently and you know there are you know rock star legends like a, a artistic friend of mine amanda palmer has become known for this um we worked on a music video together last year um as a response to the harvey weinstein um, yeah thing which was really profound but she's she's really a pillar of uh an example i think of people who have really done that well just strong integrity um Again, just a tremendous artist. Her latest record, I highly recommend you go check it out immediately. It's called There, there Will Be No Intermission or There Is No Intermission. I, I'm a little anxious, so I'm not going to get yeah, the title right. But uh, it is maybe one of the best records I've heard in years. I mean, it is up there, like, in terms of her being at her best right now. And, uh, yeah, she's, she's really been a good flagship leader in terms of talking about some of these things and Modeling for other artists like myself, um, what is possible for people to, in terms of like, sort of breaking away from the man and like trying to yeah. do something else. Um, yeah. But yeah.
1: Since you did bring up Harvey Weinstein, have you, uh, being a, a female singer performer, have you come across you know things like this? Absolutely is- yes.
0: Uh, a very famous musician uh, who wrote a series of books that are taken very seriously. I feel even now this is the, the shit part about the position that we're all in because, like, I don't want to say his name. I don't want to name this person
3: because
0: right. uh, it feels kind of shitty and I, um, yeah, it feels very conflicting in terms of, like, who you're pointing figures at but I had a conversation with this author eight years ago in which I sat across the table from him and the point to, like, somebody set this meeting up between the two of us because, like, maybe he could help me uh, and, you know, he basically said, You know, you're never going to be able to be successful with this unless you. He's like, you can fuck your way to the middle. That's what he said to me. He's like, you can't fuck your way to the top, but you can fuck your way to the middle. And I just, like, I mean, like, what? I I think I was like 20 at the time, and I just thought, who is like. And, like, unfortunately, like, my experience has been a series of engagements in which people do not want women uh, to be equal to men in this field. Uh, They do not want. To give it to us, uh, and when they do give it to us, they want it to be a gift. They don't want us to be entitled to it because we're good at our jobs, and like that's the real kicker. Is, like, and I've watched it with Amanda. I mean, she's a great example. Like, she is fucking very good at her job, and like they don't want to give it to her. They don't want to give it to her because she's standing there going, "I'm good at my job, and I deserve this," and they're like, "Nope, you can't have it." I mean, like, the style, like, they want us to be like, oh, no, no, I'm not, it couldn't possibly, i uh, not me, I couldn't possibly have written all this and done all this. Nobody expects that behavior from men, and they do expect it from us if we're going to be successful. And so, you know, especially for the, like, image and heaps of the world, again, Salise Henderson, who's in my film, who's an exceptional fucking rock star and artist, uh, you know, those people who are saying, nope, like, I'm good at my job, I'm a professional, this is what I'm doing, and then... Holding this this mistake is is a big part of ending the exploitation of women in this industry in which we are told you will never do anything without us. We are the power gatekeepers, and so like I I see a lot of women struggle with this. Like whatever your relationship is to the proximity of men is being the 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 catalyst that allows you to be successful. That model's got to go. It's the thing that allows the exploitation to take place, and unfortunately, it is. It's everywhere. I've had. Absolutely disgusting. And again, like I named mean one thing, and it's pretty bad. Yeah, and like yeah, it's, it's, and it's not the worst. There's, you know, there's, yeah. there's whole, fucking, a fucking hundred of those stories of me engaging with dudes in this industry in a way that I just, you know, get home at night and go, like, how is this? What's happening still? Like, how is this being? Ex- like, unfortunately, what's ending it is this. Like, people saying, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done, I'm going to talk about it, and, and I'm done I'm done playing. And I think the more people who are done playing, the more male allies that we have who are willing to acknowledge that the problem is real, You like, honestly, we all worked up now, more than solving the problem is getting people to admit that there's a problem. It makes people deeply uncomfortable to confront the yeah. idea of systemic sexism. Because if like,
1: people know there is a problem, they're less likely to, to just let it slide. It's not even, even if you're not actively doing it, if you just know it's there and you don't care or say anything, then, yes. then you know, there's no consequence.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah. And, it, and it's difficult, and it's difficult especially because, I mean we talked about this a little bit, but part of the problem with saying, here's what's happening, and it's unfair, is that people don't like to hear about it, and then pointing out every time that it's unfair, you become the problem you become the agitator people think you're a dick they call you a bitch they're like she's hard to work with she's a you know because you're constantly pointing out when shit is wrong yeah and so like your choices are you continue to pretend that everything is fine and it never changes or you're the asshole who's constantly pointing out when things are wrong and you know i said to you before it's that that dilemma of going well you know do you say it and like you lose a thing either way. Right.
1: Because you know? then some people think, oh, she's a problem. Right. She-
0: but here's the thing. If, if men are annoyed at us talking about how we are fundamentally unequal to them in this industry, uh-huh. if they are annoyed by hearing about it 10% of the time, uh, I invite them to think about how it is uh, to live in that all of the time and never be able to turn off. Uh, to always be the woman filmmaker in the group. Yeah. To always have people wonder why you're there or figure you know what I mean like, or even even if it's just that thing we were saying before of like refusing to acknowledge that the work is good because they don't want to give it to you Right? Like, they want it to be a gift like that that whole model that it, like it's, can smash it to the ground like let's end this patriarchal bullshit because what I am annoyed by more than the problem itself is this sort of idea that when we talk about these issues there's this tone I think that gets put on us of like we should do it because it's fair and we want to be nice. We should not end sexism and racism because it's fair and we want to be nice. Those are great ideas. I believe in them. I'm an idealist. I, yeah. I want that. That should not be our primary motivation. For me, our primary motivation needs to be if that black woman doesn't get to write her book, I do not get to read her book. Mm-hmm. That's why it should be selfishly motivated. We don't get their cure for cancer. You know, you don't get that gay person's perspective that could change your whole life because you're not them. And as you said before, like, you can't be a person you're not. You only have your perspective. And, like, you know, even for myself, right, like, what I get out of intersectional points of view from all different walks of life, I can watch the movie of myself alone at home for free. <laughs> like, I don't need other people to, to see my perspective. And I, the only thing I can't do by myself is be you and have your perspective. Right. And so it's this idea that like we should be fighting for equality because we aren't getting the best, the most brilliant of over half of our population because of this shit. Yeah. And everyone should be in mourning about that. Like We should all feel deep grief for every film we'll never get to see because that person didn't get to fucking make their movie, for every book that didn't get to get written, for every endeavor that some brilliant person couldn't get access to for anybody in the disability community who didn't get to do their thing. You know, for anyone who's been marginalized according to this arbitrary and broken story, I feel grief, and I want it to be done. I'm I'm over it. Like, I have officially reached my breaking point.
1: So are you going to do any more uh, in, in film? Like, either more this kind of thing or maybe something really different
0: thank you for asking yeah. that I have worked in a, on a bunch of things actually since this so yeah. um, I've worked as a set dresser um, I've worked as an art department head uh, on other people's projects which has been a, a great way to both
1: learn more was that through the festivals no you know that was yeah.
0: actually through uh, sort of having to so yeah. like uh, my producer Daniel I think was one of the first people who he had taken his next job after our job and kind of got in a little, a little bit over his head. He was like, can you come help me with this thing? And I did. I got on this TV show uh, called Two Girls, One Show. It's a comedy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I met a bunch of people on that crew. And then it's the and then it's the phone tree game of, like, once you do one gig and you do a great job at it, right. you're on somebody's call list. And then it's like, hey, can you come on, blah, blah. And so, like, that's, I got plugged into this sort of, Network in which now people call me to come and do stuff, so I, I've been able to do that. But I did initially have a really funny reaction, because I, I didn't like set out to become a filmmaker. I, I knew that I loved painting, I knew that I loved making. I always thought, oh, it would be fun to make a film, but never was like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. Uh, I had this, what I thought was very unique, uh, very original and, and very creative idea, and I, it felt really important to me to see that get made. So that was my entry point to film, and when I finished it, I was like, fuck, I've got to make films now. I'm like, this is going to be so inconvenient, Like, I loved it, Uh and I was just like, god damn it, it now I've got to be a filmmaker too, but yes, the answer is yes, Like, I am so interested in also kind of breaking the barriers around what people think they have access to, Um, so basically like... Anything that I feel excited about, I'm going to work on. So if that's playwriting, like I've been writing a science fiction novel for eight years, that like just slowly embodying the cliche,
3: yeah.
0: uh, like dystopian fiction, and so like essentially any area that I feel interest and excitement about, I'm going to continue to pursue because like the doing of the thing is the thing, and like yeah. you only get to do this once. So like if I'm excited about something, I'm going to show up and try it. Like fuck all, it feels cool. Sure. Like yeah. yeah,
1: no, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. A few years ago I almost died several times and oh, really? it gave me a different outlook on everything. Do
0: you feel like talking about
1: that? Sure. I've talked about it a lot of times. Okay. But, but yeah, three years ago I had a reticulitis uh, and my colon perforated. Okay. And so every, all my... Uh, Yes. He was uh, dying. Yes, yes, And so I had emergency surgery. Were you to septic the... as well? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So I had emergency surgery to move 14 inches of my home. When I woke up I had the colostomy bag, which was yeah. not a good time. It's a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was on uh, drip, uh, all kinds of painkillers. So that was uh, several months in the hospital. Wow. Then into rehab and then home. And, then, uh, and so I was lucky That's to real. be able to get the reversal surgery, wow. which reconnected all the inside. Um, but from then, then I started to bleed out from the from where I had the surgery wound yeah, yeah. and uh, it was like a movie, shooting out, and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, right at me- that must have been yes.
0: very frightening, terrifying. Well, terrifying. it's
1: really mm-hmm. weird you say that because uh, that's what everyone uh, says, but it, it, well, I was it's not frightened. No, I I I say I knew I was dying, and I because I, there was so much blood, I just oh was, I'm dead, and. Uh, and everyone around me was like the movie because they're telling me to stay with me when they got me in the ambulance. And that one guy was trying to take like my blood uh, sugar, and they got me like, don't worry about that. we're going to keep his blood pressure. And so I just thought I was dying. And I felt the peace. I was very warm, and I just thought, it was yeah, it.
0: Like, this is the minute. Yeah. Like.
1: And they, they kept putting these, uh, I forget the name of them, it was uh, what they put on, like gunshot wounds. And I went through six of them. And so when they did give me the hospital, they cut me out of my clothes. It was soaked in blood, it was almost like jelly. And uh, then they stitched me up, but obviously didn't die. So. Yeah.
0: God, thank you for sharing that. That sounds like a very intense, I know you said it wasn't intense to you, and you felt sort of at peace there, but yeah. But that's still, it's a lot to go through.
1: Yeah, it was. And then I was readmitted to the hospital, and it happened twice more while I was in the hospital. We, uh, and the one, they had to call, so it was like at 3 in the morning, so the surgeon had to come in. And so I don't know where it's going, but uh, that's what led me to me losing the belly button. It was uh, three years after that, was I had all these uh, hernias from the, from the surgery—twelve hernias—and one was a big one that I had a bowel blockage and was, again was dying apparently. And so then I had surgery to fix. Well, first they pushed them all back in. Which is not a good time either to have your intestines pushed. Nope. I like everything in, in, in there position. to just stay in
0: there the whole yeah. time. That's just my rule. I know right. everyone's different. Yeah. But it's like, like I just prefer now. to yeah. have it yeah. all yeah. Yeah. in there yeah. just hundred yeah. percent of the time. Oh, yeah, right.
1: so then I had surgery to fix that yeah. and, uh, I, I, changed yeah. Yeah. and uh, I changed my lifestyle and yeah. they told me I wouldn't see fifty that you was turning forty three. But yeah, yeah they give me totally different uh where's going to uh different outlook to do what I want to do while I'm here. And you know, be around people I want to be around.
0: Sometimes that's what it takes. Is it's the moment to me where the story breaks, where the like where you cut the shit and you're like, you realize that the energy that people are putting into this bullshit is a story not based on reality, and actually was never about you. It was about this whole history of habits of how people just have engaged with each other, and people are sort of often on autopilot around that. I find. Some of my favorite people are people who have had these experiences where they, whatever it was for them, broke the story.
1: That's why early when I said to do whatever it is you like, because it doesn't have to be something amazing. I mean, you don't want to make movies or whatever. Even if you just, you like to watch a movie or to walk down to the beach or whatever it is, you know, do it while you're here. Because you don't know when you can.
0: Absolutely. And
1: not even just if you're dead, but like... If you physically aren't okay. able, to... I,
0: re- I relate to that heavily. I'm actually in the last year. So we premiered in 2017. I took a year and a half off of this film because of my own. I've been having health uh, crisis myself. Not dissimilar uh, to yours in the measure of extremeness, but it's gut related. Okay. Uh, and so they they were. I just had a colonoscopy three weeks ago. Okay. Uh, looking for Crohn's and colitis and whatever. Like it had yeah. massive inflammation. I've been really and it, again like and my ongoing joke is that it's a because <laughs> like it it is very inconvenient socially to fucking be farting all the time and have to go shit <laughs> yeah. every five minutes and like uh-huh. people don't it's not sexy and it's not fun no, and people no. don't like it it's, it makes people uncomfortable and it definitely, when you're in that when you're in a pain body for example for a uh-huh. long periods of time, it changes everything mm-hmm. and it does, it has shifted my perspective other people who have had shared or similar experiences, I've heard very similar sentiments from them but like, yeah, anything again that like gets you back to the like being here and like yeah. and like being a person in your real life uh, I think is really healthy and really good and I hate that sometimes it has to be so extreme before we wake the fuck up yeah. and do that but that's, yeah. that's huge I'm so yeah. when I'm so I, have, I when you had
1: the colostomy bag like you have no control at all with oh, yeah. both uh, solids and gas mm-hmm. and the thing you'd have to do with it is burp it which is basically yeah. let the, or else it'll explode yeah, it. yeah. and I remember when I was in the car once with Annabelle uh, in front of them and uh so we usually roll down the window, and I was like, so I start, and I was like, she's like, oh, let's stop, and I was like, no, we're driving, and then the window's down, yeah, it'll be fine, yeah. and as soon as I start, we hit a red light, and she was not very happy with me, but, you know.
0: Yeah, but, but it's that thing of like, okay, yeah, is it is it annoying to be in a smell that smells bad, right? <laughs> right, or whatever? Sure, but again, like, how far have we gotten from our humanity of compassion and empathy towards a human, like a human experience of having also need and pain, mm-hmm. right? And it, it sort of speaks back to this uh, sort of circular yeah. conversation. The pain of, definitely changes you. It changes yeah. you. And, and it also, like, so, like, in terms of ableism being a, you know, in addition to sexism and racism, yeah. like, this idea that only healthy, like, that we value healthy people but we don't value people who are not healthy uh-huh. is egregious to me, that we value people who are only, you know, sort of physically...
3: Yeah. Fully yeah. able? Well, you know, no, years, exactly. Yeah. And,
0: and, and I even struggle to say that because, like, why do we value that? We again, like, we are a spectrum of variation among human beings. Who created this hierarchy of which stories count and which ones don't, and who will accommodate and who we won't? And like, I feel like that is a really important place to, to look in terms of how we structure our our values, our morals, our principles, and how we organize them as a community. Because again, in terms of breaking the model. I don't want to see this model stay and have the players switch out. I will not feel better if women are on top and men are getting the shit. Right, right. I will not feel better. If, I, I want to see us readdress why we value these things, why we hold these principles, why we keep participating in these models. And like for me, it, it comes down to going like, what do I believe? I believe everybody's story counts. Uh, I believe that what separates me from, for example, like I see homeless people dehumanized constantly and and, and used as almost like a caricature, where I go like, God, if people knew how few steps it would take to be them, or like you were saying with health stuff, like what one time, split second, random thing will make your whole experience different, and like you're still going to be you.
3: Yeah. still going to be you
0: that whole time. And so it's, it's really a good yeah. opportunity to have a wake-up call right. and this, check your values. Yeah, this <laughs> just happened,
1: you know, when I had the, uh, it was, you know, I didn't really have any. I had pains once in a while, but I didn't think anything of it. And yeah. then, bam, then, you know, the next day, you, you know, it was an intense pain. And, yeah. and then in and out of the hospital for months. Yeah. And totally.
0: It's really difficult. Oh, and it's interesting because, like, I've lost a lot of weight um, from gut rows, from being, And it's been really interesting. I posted a big thread on it. um a month ago now, um, terrible time space, uh, basically saying, Hey, like, you know, I don't value being thin. Like, I don't value being thin. And there's something really fucked up about society when I am 15 pounds underweight because I am the sickest I've ever been in my life, and everybody's like, Oh my god, you look amazing, you're so hot, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I refuse to say that fat people, to contribute to a narrative where fat people are unworthy of love, where they don't count, where they aren't credible or valuable. I think it's, I think that's as bad as anything else. And so it's like, again, just looking at how and who we make the butt of the joke how and who is the lowest rung on the ladder that we're all kicking and laughing about because we get to feel better about not being them Mm -hmm. right and that's the thing is it's like maybe we need to break the model maybe we need to not measure up and down maybe we need to measure this way and say hey like we are a variety of differences Mm -hmm. and thank god because it means that we get more when we come together like and I'd rather see a society that's built on that than constantly be trying to figure out how to get over on someone uh-huh. just the energy of that feels
1: like a waste of energy <laughs> yeah, but, yeah Yeah. When, uh, about pain it was, it was intense pain uh, several times throughout this and someone when I, when I was looking into pain and stuff, is your body doesn't uh, it doesn't have a pain memory like you can remember being in pain but you can't yeah. you can't actually like bring up the actual physical which the miracle
0: of childbirth <laughs> yeah,
1: which is probably a good thing you know totally if, like I don't want to relive that but, big time uh, it was just, it was something interesting that they read about. Well,
0: but it's like, for me, pain sits in that space of like, it takes up bandwidth. Yeah, it yeah. takes up bandwidth of what you have available to you in uh-huh. terms of patience and access and all these things. And a lot of things are like that. Mental illness is like that. It takes up a lot of space. Prejudice is like that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm a pretty white woman. People treat me nice most of the time because of bullshit. Right. Like because of a broken model that I'm benefiting from directly. Yeah,
1: we say that because I've become much more uh, a positive person the last uh, since November is really when I started change. Mm-hmm. You know, and you get way more done because you focus on like being productive as opposed to you know wallowing and whatever.
0: Right. Well, and I think part of it is talking about like learning how to identify where you're benefiting from your privilege, learning how to break it, and learning how to figure out how to navigate it how to change that story so that other people are not uh, suffering so that you can have more. Like, you know, and that's why it's like, I think it's uh, Martin Luther King has the great uh, quote about, you know, to people who are in privilege, equality feels like oppression because, like, you're still getting less than you got before and it's because right. you were getting too much. And so, yeah, I do think that there's a lot of opportunities here to really look at this model. And again, like, it's that thing of, like, talking about you know especially like you talk about cis white men being sort of the villain character yeah, right yeah. now I, you know i want to hug all of them and say guys like you're not bad because
1: everything could go too far
0: totally but i want to say you're not bad you're just wrong right and like you being wrong even if you're wrong and neutral like maybe you're not actively trying to hurt anybody you're, you're somebody who's sort of gen- like there's still harm being generated from that neutrality and so it's this thing of like, if you really want to, if you really believe in the things that we're talking about, like, it is more than sort of just being able to float by and be neutral, like, you have to be involved and you have to be willing to say, "Yeah, this shit isn't fair and I'm on the beneficial side of it. Again, it's like, I don't, I don't want the model to get changed out. I, I want the model gone. I want to value human beings for what they should be valued for, which is their being, the delight of their being, like, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Unrelated, but uh, being on ketamine for a while, do I do realize why people uh, take that special K was it was a, it was a, it was experience. a nice experience. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but but like that speaks to your point of, like the being out of pain thing. Yeah. You know, I so because just before I get away from it when I was saying the thing about like being a pretty white woman, because I'm a pretty white woman, people are generally nice to me. They're blight, they're, yeah, they're yeah. you know whatever that's a lot of bandwidth that's freed up for me because I'm not doing emotional labor all the time for people to humanize me. I still do it as a woman, yeah, yeah. as a gay person, sure. But, you know, my, my, my boyfriend is a trans guy. And, like, when I watch him walk through the world and I realize that our bandwidth is so different. Because, like, what he has the ability to have patience for is much less than mine. And it's because, like, fucking people aren't nice to him. All the mm-hmm. time, people aren't. Like, it is so much work to get people to fucking look at him in the face.
3: Yeah. To,
0: that, like, people don't understand. Like, just like pain, that's the kind of pain. It takes up space. It takes up your ability to show up and do the thing to keep showing up in the face of that to do the thing and I think where I hope to see society uh, have more empathy is the idea of like you never know what somebody is going through when somebody is grouchy for example a lot of grouchy people are just people who are okay. Right. right? Like, yeah
1: sort of I, I know to, that like, from right? my own experience sort of yeah role. and so
0: yeah just kind of like I feel like radicalized empathy is what we need uh, I talk a
1: lot about empathy in my work. Um, I think I think it's where the thing is. Yeah. Like, I just know, I, I mentioned I lost 120 pounds this November, but uh, treated much differently in public. Like I joke there's negatives, like now people sit yeah. next to me on the bus. And I, it's a joke, but it is yeah. complete because used to be no one would want to sit next to me unless... There was no other seed anywhere, but now it's like, it doesn't matter. And
0: I think shaming fat people is just, it is such an, I mean, all forms of prejudice are unacceptable, but this idea that we have arbitrarily created uh, a story around which bodies are acceptable and valuable, just, again, it's like how are we still doing this? How are we reinforcing this? I feel that way when I hear people say, oh, you're a fucking idiot. (laughs) Do
3: you know what I mean? Again, same
0: thing. It's like, I mean, I'm severely dyslexic. What I can't do is a lot of stuff. My brain won't do it. It's like we talked about I can't tell time, I can't do basic addition. I don't know my left and my right. (laughs) And do I still see myself as being someone who has something valuable to contribute to society? Absolutely. And so, like, again, it's like, check your values. Why do we value a certain kind of intelligence over other kinds of intelligence? Why do we value... Complicated people over simple people. Can't we just look at the spectrum of human diversity and understand that the uniqueness of each person inherently serves the greater good just by being there, just yeah. by being part of the landscape? Like, why are we so insecure that we have to if, get our value? If, the if up everyone other
1: was people? whatever is the ideal, then no one would stick out.
0: Well, would say that again? I, if I everyone it, was
1: whatever people think the ideal person. Mm. Then no one would be special in any way. They just everyone would be exactly the same.
0: Right. Well, and the nice thing about having everybody included is we're not all the same, and we're not all meant to be best friends, right? right There's yeah, a lot, and exactly so the, part of my favorite thing about this model is like the reason it works so well is like when something sparks with somebody you can just keep that person forever and like you get to decide what your boundaries are around who you want to engage with you don't have to engage with everyone you don't have to have everybody in your close inner sanctum we're all different and like what's going to serve our our particular sets of needs and wants are all going to be different and i don't think there's anything wrong with gravitating towards a certain kind of person or like having a kindred spirit with a certain kind of person but that's different than valuing that yeah. over another thing to make it valuable Right. you know
1: what i mean like yeah. so yeah so i do want to mention i want to thank uh uh yeah. what, what is the this cracker the barrel. cracker barrel i don't know how i forgot the cracker barrel but <laughs> they let us sit here for a long time they sure and didn't bother us they which is very nice us. yeah it's
0: extremely nice yeah. Yeah. And thank, thank you so much for the opportunity to have a thoughtful conversation
1: glad we got in now i was going to ask you yesterday but we i thought we had 20 minutes before the next movie which End up being like an hour, so probably, but I think it turned out better.
0: Yeah, I think all things in their right time, right? Like yeah. you have to force a thing too hard. I feel like that's one of the things I learned from the film. Is like sometimes you just gotta listen to what's happening. <laughs> do you yeah, know? Yeah, like, yeah. I find the best things happen when you do. Like. Yeah.
1: And since we're both said we're awkward people, I think having a little breakfast beforehand it made the uh, the interview better. Totally.
0: The yeah.
1: Chat better. Absolutely. Virtual. I appreciate it. Thank
0: you so yeah. much. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you guys
1: for hanging out and listening to this giant, yeah. Yeah, it's like an hour <laughs> meandering, or... I know. <laughs> Thanks.
0: Hello, my friends. I am Fabio Fritzi, and we are listening to Without Your Head Radio.
2: Tech, big deal, and see.